production of the Toll Network. This is the Uncoming Cast RX number 249. How much can one man hurt? I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Common Rider Zero One, episode 42, As Long As There's Evil, and episode 43, Heart. Our writer for both, as always, is Takahashi Yuya. <sighs> yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, our director on both is Tasaki Ryuta. Yeah, and, and. Okay, before we get into the heavy stuff, Sono, I just realized there's only two episodes left of Zero One, right? Yeah. Um, that means that we're going to finish Zero One on episode 250. Oh, wow. Yeah, we are. That's just kind of neat. I don't know. That's that's very nice and clean. Yeah. But also, hey, Toei, you absolute toolbox. I can't believe you. <laughs> I mean, you, you broke my heart, man. Yeah. Like, Sono, I don't know about you... Um, I have been... Oh, you know, you know about me. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, like, it's been the only thing on my mind since it happened. Yes. And, like, look, we're, we're gonna get into it, because, hey, um, unsurprisingly, this was some good common Rider. <laughs> yeah, it was. But, uh, let's, let's get into, like, the problems and nitpicks, because, like, yes, that's what we do. We have them. So, Sona, why don't just, you start? Just a couple. Yeah, just a it's couple. Not even anything big. Fairly minor ones, honestly. Yeah. Like, I love the drama in Hirobi's broadcast to the Yuma Gear as a whole, but also, why can he do that? <laughs> Aren't all of the Yuma Gear linked to Zaya, who is Izu, and not Hirobi? Because, I mean, the Ark currently is not an active thing, so it's not even that they're also hooked into the Ark or something. Like, why can he do that? Can all Yumagir just send out an at everyone at any time? Why can't Izu respond and be like, yo guys, ignore this chump, he's just barking at the wind? Like, and why are there Yumagir suddenly siding with him? Not even ones that we've seen be mistreated, like Smile or Check It Out or uh, the Mi- Meadery? No, Meadery was the vegetable one. Um, the the flower arranging one. Oh, yeah. I can't remember her name. I forgot her name too, um, but I loved her. She would have yeah. such a good reason to be like, nah, I'm here for the for the Wreck Humanity Patrol. Yeah, like if it were so- if it were them. That we see, like, in that lineup of Yumagir who haven't already turned, that would have kind of been understandable, but why do, like, random Yumagir believe him when it's been pretty clear to Yumagir in general via, like, news broadcasts that Metsubo Jinrai and Hirobi kind of specifically have generally been making stuff worse for them? To say nothing of how many times he's just been straight up, hey, what's up? You're an autonomous being? No, you're not! Yeah, like, why are they suddenly down with him being like, hey, let's go kill all humans together? Uh, Also, who told Yua and Fua about this broadcast? Because they, like, show up. Mm. Like, was it Naki? Did Naki, like, hear this and then call Fua? Um, I'm gonna believe it was, because the two of them weren't in for- Like, Naki and Raiden weren't in 42. And I'm choosing to believe that Naki just called Fua and was like, please go deal with him. I am very tired right now. I am in no mood. I really just want to, like, take a nap for an hour or two. 
Look, Please handle this for me. All the stuff they've been through, they deserve that much. But, you know, to your, to your larger point, like, I'm sorry to, like, nitpick the nitpick, but, you know, sometimes that's how we do. Um, I've been frustratingly straddling fences on a lot of exactly that stuff, because, you know, hey, this Common Rider show has managed to put forth something with nuance, and, you know, nuance makes me happy. Or if not happy, like, excited, anyway. Because while there is no reason to believe that Metsubo Jinrai would or could make things better, at least they'd make things change, and if there's an understandable reaction, it's just wanting things to change when things are bad. Like, for better or for worse, at least it'd be different and there's a chance, because... But, I mean, like, what what do they want to change? Because, on the whole, for most Yumagir, things are fine? No, and, and I think that question there highlights like, a different and related potential failure in storytelling, because if there are enough Humagear who are feeling that things are bad enough to risk a machine versus humanity war slash revolution, that's a thing we should have been talking about this whole time. Because, <laughs> like, in the narrative where the Humagear are nebulously representative of various kinds of marginalized communities, because the show agrees that they're people from the jump and therefore marginalization happens because society at large decides it must happen. Um, so focusing on their human allies, or even the most extreme anti-human supremacist elements, really leaves a massive swath of the Humigear populace out of the narrative when that, when having them in there might better contextualize why they would side with Hirobi. Because like you say, it doesn't like, I can, I can backfill, but it doesn't make a lot of sense in the story as presented. Yeah, like, if, like, G-Pen at this point wouldn't make sense because we had that whole second arc about him and I how much uh, the mangaka has changed and is now like, hey, I want to support you finding your own dream and I will use my platform to give you this jumping off point. And I just but, I like that so much. Yes, it's great. Um, but if we had seen more that there were other Yumagir that were kind of in that situation, then I'd kind of believe it. But the way that was treated was that it was a very weird one-off thing. Where usually, I mean, even like uh, Nigiro, the dude didn't want to buy a Yumagir, but once he saw how cool he was, he was like, oh, I guess Yumagir are cool, I'm going to raise you as my own son. So, like, there's really no indication that there are large percentages of people, like, p treating their Yuma gear poorly. Yeah. And I just kind of wish there was more indication of that, because, like, we just saw the box guy again. We saw the, like, delivery Yuma gear for, like, the third time, and he's always seemed pretty chill. Aside from the time that Jin hacked his brain? Yeah, exactly. Like, why Why are you angry at the humans? Like, not why are you who... siding with the dudes that hacked you one time? Yeah. I mean, like, we can imagine, and like, this is, this is some nonsense, and I'm gonna admit it's nonsense up front, we can imagine that there's been some of that wiped out due to the pandemic, 
but at the same time, like, we only have what's in front of us. And, and while a lot of yeah, it's... Yeah, it's... Oh, go on. I just, I wish that they had gotten back some of those Yuma gear from the Jobs arc, yeah. who we saw actually respond to human malice and connect to the arc on their own. Mm. I feel like maybe that would have... Because if it was them, I would have no questions. Yeah, because if, if nothing else, it's, hey, they're there, so we can sort of infer that they've been telling other human gear, like, hey, this is what they'll do to us. And, like, then you could kind of see it. But, like, as it is, it it's relying on a lot of coding for stuff that I don't... I'm not entirely sure they've earned. Because, like... I get why they're doing it and what we're building toward, but like you said, it doesn't, like, unless you're willing to just sort of roll with it. Because <laughs> they're just like, yeah, okay, these are a marginalized population, and marginalized populations have problems with the status quo, which is, you know, true and justified. Yeah, I mean... But it doesn't... I mean, I feel like there's a degree to which... If it wasn't so weird that Hirobi could just call every Yuma gear all at once, I might still just be like, this is fine, this is just kind of representative of something. Mm. But it's just super weird to me that he can just, like, go into the Yuma gear Discord chat and at everyone. And they just, and like, no one would be like, get out. Yeah. Didn't we block you, dude? Like, how are you banavating? Yeah. Also, banavation, bad thing to do. Don't do that. You got yeah. Don't do reason. it. Like, look, some, it's it's like on Twitter. Sometimes, like, yeah, sometimes you get blocked by someone, and you're like, I don't even know why you blocked me. But like, it's not your it's not your call. Don't go around it, especially not to ask them why. That's just that's really awful. I block a lot. Um, I blocked a few. There are a few people like that. Anyway, moving on. I don't care about Yodagaki. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Part of me wondered if he'd turn out to be like the guy they mentioned at the end of X Aid, who was the movie villain. Hmm. But that guy wasn't actually in X Aid. He was just on like a poster or like in an email or something. <laughs> But this guy is here and making pretty drastic shifts to the status quo in the literal 11th hour. And, like, guys, we do not have time. No, we do not. I like seeing Guy get ousted from his position as president of Zaya and having yet another president's chair kicked out from under him. But having this also be the guy who put Jin back together makes him a much bigger figure in the plot than the plot needs right now. Especially when he's kind of being framed as another antagonist. And as much as I like the idea of a villain using Guy as his own personal weapon the way Gaia planned to use the populace at large, Yodagaki can't live up to the malice the arc is sowing in these episodes. No, he can't. And he's only got four episodes to exist. Mm -hmm. He cannot add anything to this story because there's no time, and the arc is such a bigger presence than he could ever be. Just cut him loose. He does not need to be here. Even if this guy was the plan for Guy's endgame and was supposed to maybe come in a little earlier in maybe somewhere within 
you know, if everything was kind of bumped down five episodes and you could have wedged him in there. Like, I don't know, if even if this was planned for Guy and Jin, Jin should have just been left to Yua. Mm. It should have just been that Yua fixed him and not had that be part of Jin's plot and just have Jin kind of not have someone telling Jin that he needs to kill Hirobi, but just have Jin having that argument with himself. Yeah. Of, I need to kill Hirobi because he's either going to become the Ark or start this war, but I can't because he's my father and I love him. Yeah, I, a simple, I can't, I must. Like, those. that's simple superhero storytelling. That's the best stuff. So, like, he doesn't need to be part of Jin, and, like, Maybe still have this scene of Yodagaki kicking Guy out of his office and, like, do, like, set up this Thouser Division thing and then have that be the plot for Zero One's movie or maybe a Thouser-specific movie. Um, and just kind of have him do his own thing. Like, have him be part of these fights in the endgame and just have that set up for, la- for movies later. Because we do not have time. No, we do not. We don't have time for whatever this Thouser Division plotline is with this random dude going around yapping at two major characters, telling them what to do. We, the arc is here. We have to deal with that. Honestly, we barely have time to deal with that. Yeah. But I do admit I enjoyed him tossing Guy's name plaque across the room and Guy, like, desperately chasing after it and then getting hit by his rolling chair as they replace it with Yodagaki's. That was funny as hell. Uh, yeah. That was great. Look, fair is fair. That ruled. I-, I might not be fond of him as a plot element because, yeah, we-, we don't have time. But as part of Guy's karmic justice, being reduced to a tool of a corporation he tried to make into a world-straddling force has a certain attractive quality. Not guy goes to jail attractive, because, you know, we're, we're still in pro-wrestling logic, but it, it, it was nice to see him get a taste of his own medicine, but that is it. Yeah, I just, I feel like this should be a thing that was loosely introduced, not connected to Jin even slightly, and set aside for a movie. Yeah. Though I will say I appreciate that they gave him the surname Williamson, or or whatever it was, just like, hey, what's up? He's international. Yeah. You, you can't trust them Americans. And I'm like, alright. That's fair enough. Yeah. Look, look, I just it's it's interesting seeing anti my homeland xenophobia when I'm so used to seeing xenophobia from my homeland, you know? Okay, so as much as I love the malice is in all of us cycle of violence speech in uh, 43 as a string of words that I personally believe in, I do not want to hear it from a Matsu goddamn guy of all people. <laughs> yeah, dude. You hand those lines over to Yua. I'd say hand it to Fua, but in the context of the moment, he can keep being surprised that someone as goofy and soft as Aruto could reach this point as a person but Yua's Yua's felt that malice she's been a good person who's succumbed to it give those words to her yeah and like even and she even had one of the more vicious relatable kinds of malice in her though you know she she had the one that made her see other people as things that was her deal from the jump she's come around she's seen the fruits of 
uh, Guy's labor, of Aruto's labor. She's the first human who fought the Ark and was so darn close to giving up on the whole humanity thing because of how scary it was. Because she's just like, sorry, humanity's dead. <laughs> it's, too, it's too scary. Bye, I'm checking out. Like, she understands the cycles of hatred and the cycles of abuse and just the way those things bend you. Let her, ha like you said so, let her have that. Yeah, because at the end of the day, Guy, this is still your fault. You did this. And I'm just not in the mood to have him preach to me. Yeah, dude's been selling me on his face turn and, and sort of selling me on the regretting his bad actions. You know, he hasn't gone to jail, but... Uh, but he hasn't earned a philosophical statement on the cyclical nature of human crapitude. He just hasn't. No. Like, he might believe it, and if Yua said it, and he's just like, yeah, I agree. Like, yes, he should tell Yua, hey girl, you are correct. I do suck, and am, I have been until recently, the embodiment of this cycle you describe. Like, that'd be, that'd be something else, but it, anyway... Um, so I really thought that we were going to spend some time with Aruto believing Azu was Izu in kind of this delusion of his grief. And I'm a little bit disappointed we're not. This isn't a major criticism. Oh, no. Um, because it's not really important to the story. And I think it's one of those elements that was cut for time. Um, and if it is, it was probably the right thing to cut in favor of far more important story elements like everything else that happens in these two episodes. Yeah, these um, are some dense episodes, too. Yeah. So, like, it's it's really... It doesn't take away anything from the story that this didn't happen. I'm just slightly disappointed that we didn't get to see it because I feel like that's the reason that Azu looks like Izu. Hmm is that that was part of the Ark's machinations, that he was like, yeah, I'm gonna get to Aruto, and you're going to lead him in my direction, because he, he's going to think you're Izu. Yeah, which... It would have hurt if that had happened. It would have been great and, and fun, but also, like, that would have been just painful. Watching him do the, uh the self-delusion thing. Because, like... Ooh. But him breaking out of it because she pushed just that little bit too far, that would have been great. Like you said, it's not necessarily to the point of it all, but, yeah, it would have been nice. Yeah, I just... I, I feel like it's something where if we had, you know, a couple of those episodes mm -hmm. that we lost due, due to the quarantine... Um, that we may have gotten an episode or two of that. But even so, like, Aruto's You're Not My Assistant was such a moment. Yeah, it was. Like, as was Aruto sulking, like, about that until Azu's like, oh, but I know where her- Like, he's like, I I'm not gonna listen to you, this- I'm not gonna just go away, leave me alone. And she's like, oh, well, I can tell you where Hirobi is, and he just turns around and jumps on her for that information. Oh, so like, good. that was- that was so good. Yeah, and it really highlights what the nature of their relationship actually is, no matter what other pretensions Azu might have put into it. It's just, no, you are the way for me to 
excise and exercise this hate. Just it, it would have been nice to get that extra little bit of build up, but like it still works. Yeah, still again, works it's it's good. nothing that was strictly necessary. Um, if they had to cut something for time, that was the right choice. Absolutely. Um, but in into into the the good, good yeah, <laughs> good is Question good mark? is. The, the bits uh, that good, worked. good on a meta level. Yeah, exactly. The the bits that are like not on a my heart level. Yeah, no, no. There's not a lot of feeling good in these. But uh, yeah, why don't you why don't you start us off, Sono? Um, I really like the the initial confrontation between Izu and Azu at the start of the episode. Yes. Um, I'm confused by a couple of things, like how the arc could run simulations in Izu's Zaya brain. Or how it's doing that at all when it doesn't technically exist right now. Again, how is Hirobi doing this? But okay. Okay, whatever. Um, or when the two of them have interacted before, in order for Izu to understand that Azu is kind of the arc's knockoff of her. Because she seems to recognize that the second she sees Azu as if they've met before. But I don't think they have. I, I don't think they have, but I, I just sort of took it as... Okay, I'd recognize me. You you got my face. No, your everything else is wrong. The moment itself and how much it shakes Izu and influences her decision making is pretty much what sets off the chain of events in this episode and the following episode and pretty much the, the rest remainder is. of the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it really is this incredibly strong moment. Yeah. And, and particularly since, when you think about it, yeah, it is, it's the arc setting things in motion, but also the arc preying on how traumatized she still is by the last round of simulations she went through, and that's how it dropped poison into her head. Like, like you said, how does it know? Why can it do it? Eh. <laughs> it doesn't totally matter. Exactly. It's, you know, he's an evil god. Okay, fine, he can do that. Why? Don't worry about it. But I just I, I just really enjoy that while the simulation isn't unrelated to what actually happens, there are enough bits that are wrong in it that are still there to clearly lead her to her ultimate choice and set the Ark's resurrection in motion that... It just, it reads like a really well-done evil plan. It makes you believe that the Ark is the massive superintelligence that it says it is. And also, hey, Morazu! Heck yeah. I love, like, I realize that we're going to be getting Morazu generally, but seriously, she's great. She's our awful gremlin queen. And again, just what a performance, because she's still a robot. She's still this alien not human thing but in a completely different way from Izu and that's just that's pretty good also Azu's whole well the Ark is God now and they say that God lives with all, in all of us Don't, like that was incredible that's the most raw real horrifying line I can recall a common Rider villain saying and it resonated way too damn hard in the times we're in. Yeah. Yeah, you ain't wrong. And here I thought I was the one who went dark. 
I have it in me every now and then. Yeah, no, I know, I know, like, I know that this is not my, my soul domain, it's just, it's nice to see other people go in there. One of us. Every now and then I can, uh, I can get there. Yeah, well, I, I don't mostly, but, uh, I can, you know, it's, if necessary. And, like you said, like, that is such a good line. <laughs> like, yeah, it's God. And God's in all of us. Like, just, what a sinister thing. <laughs> Sorry, I know you just said that. I'm just, I'm agreeing with you very wholeheartedly. Yeah, it's just, oh yeah, this this being of pure malice and hate is God. And God is in all of us. <laughs> Which, like, again, give, given the themes that we're working on, man, what a great way to just, like, hey, what's up? This is the rest of the show. Like, honestly, on a storytelling level, that's really good. There was something so incredibly sweet about Izu just napping in a chair next to Aruto's desk, and the way that, like, he's excited to wake her up and then, like, kind of grabs her around the waist so she doesn't fall out of the chair when he startles her. Like, there's just something really gentle in the way they interact with each other. Because, like, he doesn't- he doesn't just, like, grab her in a way where, like, her entire body is going to jerk- he, he tries to, like, steady her whole body. And there was something in that motion specifically that felt so gentle. Um, and even when he helps her up later uh, to pull her out of the fight, like, he kind of takes her whole body. And I'm just gonna kind of enjoy that while I can. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, whoo, <laughs> there's... Again, there's not a lot of enjoyment in these episodes. Appreciation, certainly. Because there's a lot to appreciate here, and a lot to love, honestly, as far as a, a philosophical approach to a superhero series. And, like, I'm gonna... You know, we're gonna be babbling on about that throughout. But, uh, yeah, not a lot of enjoyment. Because this isn't... Yeah. Not, not a lot of things that make me feel happy. Yeah, no. It's not fun. It's good. But it's not fun. And knowing what's, especially like going back through watching a second time and seeing those moments of kindness and like their connection and how they're, they've gone through all this stuff and now they've reached this place of, of mutual understanding and friendship and, and it's beautiful and it hurts to see because it's like, oh, you have like five minutes left of this, dude. <laughs> I love um, Izu turning to tell Aruto about Hirobi's weird broadcast and then kind of remembering the simulation that Azu put in her head and is just like, mm, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell him about that. I'm gonna go handle this myself so he doesn't get hurt. Because making that dumb, terrible choice fueled entirely by her emotions and desire to protect someone important to her is the most human thing Izu has ever and could ever do. No, it's true. And importantly, I think it's also the choice we can see Aruto making if their places were reversed. The... Oh yeah, well it's kind of the choice that he makes for the rest of these episodes. Mm, true that, true that. Because, like, yeah, this isn't let's keep something important from someone because they can't take it, because, boy, I hate when that happens. 
but this is this is a non-rider stepping up to do some common rider stuff. Like Izu steps up to risk taking the hit because she doesn't want Aruto to have to take it. And that's like I'm going to I'm going to revisit that point cuz that's that is my thesis about these episodes, but mm, it's real good. And then that confrontation between Izu and Hirobi is just so tense from the second she shows up alone to face him. And I think part of that comes from the fact that the closest thing Izu and Hirobi have ever had to a direct interaction is when Hirobi was already dead and she walked up to Jin to basically laugh at Hirobi's corpse. Oh yeah, right. Like, there's no connection between the two of them. I don't think they've said two words to each other before now. And even though Hirobi brushed off Aruto's olive branch, we've seen Aruto get through to Hirobi's humanity more than once in their encounters, especially coming up to the Arc Zero showing up and the two of them fighting the Arc together. Where if Aruto had been the one to actually confront him here, it's very possible he could have convinced Hirobi to stand down, especially if Jin had showed up. And, or at the very least, they could have punched it out like common Riders while talking it out. But to Hirobi, Izu is just a Yumagir that's bought into humans' lies. She can't present their side convincingly because she's not one of them. But seeing the two of them going around and around and with each other, standing on polar ends of their logic, refusing to meet in the middle... Even though Izu will still go as far as to defend Hirobi when Ames shows up, is just kind of a nice summary of where the show is right now. Yeah, and it is just so good. Especially there's that line about the real danger is in learning from a data set that's been biased. Like, you talk about stuff that's real as heck. <laughs> like, you, you got some stuff to say, and I love it. Yeah, and I do love that Izu doesn't discount that she's also learning from a biased data set. Yeah, they've had very different experiences, and like, all you know is the hate and malice, and all I know is people trying and being dumb, but trying from a place of good-heartedness. And like, yeah, there is no truth, there's just what they've seen and what they believe will happen next, and that's... I mean, that's honest. That's real. I do love that upon hearing Hirobi's broadcast, Shesta went straight to Aruto like, Yo, nerd, you hear about this nonsense? Because, <laughs> like, it happened and he was still in the building five minutes later. So she knew something was up because the second anything's ever going on, Aruto has, like, flung himself face first out of the building into danger. So the second that motorcycle wasn't pulling out of the garage, she's like, hey, wait. Yeah, what's up? Uh, Does he... You've got... Don't you have some place to be? Like, put Chesta in Fies. That show would have been solved in, like, three episodes tops. Yeah, because she got no time for anyone's nonsense. Hirobi, that wolf dude, that horse dude, Kusaka, just none of them. Chesta gets stuff done. Yeah. She is our corporate angel, and I'm sorry I ever Lesser. doubted her. I will take the pay cut, Shesta. <laughs> Jin looking at Hirobi's name on the Metsubo Jinrai flag, like, broke my heart. Yeah. Like, 
he he's sitting there having this kind of angst moment about his dad kind of flying off the handle and then this dude that I don't care about just calls him on the phone and is like hey go murder your dad that you're having an angst about and yeah I'm, I'm kind of like I get that he's the one who rebuilt Jin and it even makes a kind of sense if you squint because you know stopping Metsubo Jinrai from murdering all of humanity to death is very much like if all the humans are dead, who would have money to buy Zaya products, right? But, like, just asking him to murder his own dad is just like, that sucks. And given how things go in episode 43, um, like, it really, really sucks. Yeah, I just, I feel like that dude was not necessary. You could have just had Naki and Raiden in the room being like, Jin, what are we gonna do? Mm. This is your call. What are we gonna do? And Jin being like, we've got to do something about him, but I can't. Or, honestly, like, you say that and it'd just be, like, him looking at them and being like, I don't want to put them in danger. They've been through enough. They didn't ask to be part of this and just, guys, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. What do you mean? I mean, I'll take care of it. And just, like, everyone is quiet for a beat and then scene change. Sorry, like, I know I shouldn't be trying to rewrite it. It's just... We could have... I just don't care about this dude. Yeah. He's just so superfluous to everything going on. And I'm, I'm fine with tying him to Thouser and making that a movie thing. But he does not need to be part of what's going on with Jin. No, he just... He doesn't. Do, though, love Azu just walking in on that moment and pulling out the R key and being like, ha ha! And Jin being like, oh, what the heck? I forgot about that thing. That was so good. Like, it makes 35.5 feel like it was a much bigger deal than it seemed at the time, and like it really was an episode that was planned before the pandemic restructure and was really part of this bigger, long con of a plan that the arc had. Which, you know, hey, good. That's a feeling I want. Especially since Azu is a good enough performance on her own that she deserves to be part of, if not the architect of, an awesome, evil supervillain long con like this. And I love how she kind of lied by omission so that everyone believed that Hirobi was her target of trying to who she was trying to bring the arc back in when she never says it's Hirobi. No. Why would she do that? You know it's Hirobi. He's the villain, right? It's like, well, you know, I'm gonna put bring the arc back. And they're like, is it Hirobi? And she just kinda smiles. And it's just, it's so malicious and awful because it's so clear how deeply this, everything going on is digging into both Aruto and Hirobi and how she's just setting them up as these figureheads on either side of a war. Yeah, and like, look, we don't stand on this show because that's very much uh, not really a good place to be, you know, as a critic. But um, as far as villains go, yeah, we stand a queen. A horrible gremlin queen of villainy. She's so great. It's also just nice to see her, like, still be horny on main for the arc. 
Like, girl knows what she's about and is owning it, and I can appreciate that even if she's got terrible taste. Yeah, it's just the worst, but, you know, all the same. Get it, girl. Yeah, you do you. Yeah, you know what you're about. Um, it was nice to see Yua and Fua get a fight all to themselves. Yeah! I wish Yua had gotten to do some more fighting Hirobi instead of basically being pushed off to the mooks, but, you know, she still got some really cool moves in, so she got some really nice fight choreography, so, you know, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm right with you, but at the same time, yeah, this is all about Aruto and Izu and Hirobi. I just... Yeah, but Fua got to fight Hirobi. That's true. Yeah. Like, I kind of wish that they had traded off. Yeah, that would have been great, especially since that's kind of how they fight best together. Yeah. But... But, you know, she still got to do some cool moves. She got, like, that sick slide in. That was really good. I... So, you know, I just, whatever. I just want it's nice things fine. for for Yua. Yes. She, she spent so much of this plot just kind of, like, hanging on the sidelines, being unhappy. And I just... I want her to wreck some dudes. But what I really love is just Izu chasing after Hirobi and, like, grabbing onto his suit and, like, clawing at the metal shoulder pads, begging him to acknowledge his own heart. Yeah. And the fact that Hirobi's suit vanishes when he's, uh, first drawing the bow on her, I think is supposed to be some visual shorthand that she's getting to him. Like, she got under the mask and pulled it off. And he can't hide that his heart is there even as much as he's lying to himself that it isn't. Because Izu saying she believes in Hirobi's heart is when we first start to see him shake. I love it so much. Like, he can't even bring himself to look at her because he knows she's right. But her being right means he has to reevaluate literally everything, and he's way too deep in his sunk cost fallacy to accept that. Which is why he's got to bury himself back under the mask before he can let go of that arrow. Yep. And it is just, it's poetry. Painful. Awful poetry. But, you know, poetry nonetheless. And it also, like, on top of the excellent just visual metaphor going on, which, hey, common Rider, keep up with that. <laughs> like, these episodes rule with it, but I just, I really need that to keep going as we go, because there were a couple years where we didn't get a lot of visual storytelling, and I, I lament it. But it also highlights how absolutely frightful it is when a non-transformed person is at the mercy of a common Rider. Like, they... This series, without even making a point of it, has done a really good job of highlighting that a common writer is a just a different level of being. This whole different thing above and beyond a person. And when such a thing threatens one of us mere mortals, it is nightmarish! Which, you know, of course, is compounded, because uh, we, we have to talk about Izu's death now. Because uh, it is the linchpin yeah, of these do. episodes, and also kind of the climax of the series insofar as, from that moment, there's no going back for anyone. This, this creates and defines the end of the story. The story cannot happen the way it is happening without it, and uh, just, like, look, I'll, I'll give them this much. They gave that moment the weight it 
demanded. Truer words. Yeah, just because mostly I, I think it's it's the counterpoint to the thing I worried about in our previous episode with Izu shedding a tear, because that's usually the thing of oh this robot has Detroit become human and acts as a kind of Pinocchio moment wherein they become a real person, which implicitly then they weren't before, and instead they use it to highlight that Izu is a machine and that Izu is a person. And it's it's not entirely worth noting because, yeah, that's what they've been doing this whole time, but it is worth noting because most people don't do that. Most times we do these narratives, we, we say, like, you are one or the other, whereas this one is, like, yeah, they play up the humanity instead of letting Izu's personhood shine through because she is a robot. These things are not at these things are not at odds. She can be a robot and a person. There's no fight there. And then with how they actually do her death, they 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 follow through on that. Cause like first, it's in the detail the, the visual details, cause like hats off to the makeup and special effects crew because that was some of the best human gear makeup we've seen on her and and honestly just that we've seen in the show and and her crossing her eyes a little because clearly one of her eyes was damaged by getting hit by the arrow from Hirobi was just that wrecked me dude yeah what wrecked me is the way they have this light flickering behind one of her irises to emphasize that damage because it's not graphic because i you know how i have a thing with damage to eyes so it's it's not this actual damage to her eye so it's it's not graphic but it is visceral that eye is broken she probably cannot see out of it and we can tell that just from this very simple visual language because we've all seen a broken phone or TV and understand what that flickering and static means. And while all of that makeup was amazing, it was that light flickering in her eye that really got across to me that she was broken. Yes. And, And then, like, beyond that... Which, like, look, on its own was really good. But beyond that, they they let the choice she made at the start of the episode define her choice in this moment when she when she dies. Like, she chose to keep Aruto away from the situation to protect him. And in her final moments, she does it again. She shoves him away so that before she combusts, as many of the Magir have combusted before, he won't be hurt. And that's just, hey man, I am protecting you. Go. And not only does she commit to her promise to herself about protecting Aruto, she also commits to this debate she was having with Hirobi and this promise to herself she made about believing in Hirobi's heart. Because she could have flinched or tried to dodge or tried to run but she doesn't. She believes in his choice in this moment and that he's either going to have to 
turn down that arrow and not fire it or face the consequences of choosing to let it go. Yeah, and because she... Izu does not play. It's just... It's great. Good or bad, she believes in his heart and the choice that he's making by drawing that weapon on her. And didn't go great for her, but she believed and she had the faith and that's... That's Izu, baby. And also, like, once... After she's dying, after she shoved Aruto out of the way because she knows it's coming, she stands up and resumes her default assistant pose, standing up straight, hands folded in front, which, like, to me just screamed, I am going out on my terms. I am Izu, I have made my choice, and I am fulfilled. Which, just like, in her final, final moment, that, to me, proved she was a common Rider even without transforming. Because, again, in this show, being a writer isn't about the hits you deal out, it's about the hits you take. Which means that she not only became a person throughout this arc. I mean, she'd always been one, but she, you know, achieved singularity. She got her personhood, she became, she made her own choices, and in the end, she became a hero and went out as such. Yeah, no, like, in our hearts... Izu will always be the the biggest rider of Zero One. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, look, again, I'm not happy she's dead. <laughs> and I am hoping, like Burning, that, you know, that there's that shot in the opening of her reaching down from the sky to lift Aruto up. I'm hoping that's foreshadowing and that she'll be back through some miracle of Zaya. But, like, if she's not, she didn't get disrespected. She didn't go out as a thing. She didn't get damseled. It took the machinations of a... of what is in the text a god to take her down, and she went out with the equivalent of howling that string of swears she did at the Ark and everything it represents with her dying breath, and that's awesome. Look, Izu faced god and walked backwards into hell. Damn right. Uh, Pardon me, darn right. We don't swear here. We can say damn, can't we? Can we say damn? I don't know. You know, we just I don't think damn is a swear. We don't do it often. This is is like in PG-13. That was our one. It's fine. And I'm proud of her. I truly believe that she has to come back because I feel that it undermines a lot of what this show is about if she doesn't. Um, much in the way that I took sides in the debate on Philip at the end of Double, and feel that the messages of Double would have been undermined if Philip had not come back within the final episode. I feel that Izu too has to come back within the television airing of this show. This is a show about humans and Yumagir coming together, and she and Aruto are emblematic of that entire idea. It is specifically the two of them. I don't know how they can do it, but I'm just telling myself that she has to somehow, because one, it's Izu, and two, I don't thematically think it works if she doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a very different show if she doesn't. And like, I'm not saying that show would be better or worse, just it'd be a different one than the one I've been feeling like I've been watching the last while. But to to get a little speculation-y, like, 
my thing is I wouldn't be surprised if we got a version of the I work for the president loophole that she hit when she came to work with him at uh, Heat End Manufacturing. Just like, uh, Zaya decided the no backup thing only applied to the assistant of Heat End Intelligence. Or, hey, you know, it, it stopped meaning so much when I worked for a different company. Something like that. Just, I just want that bit of recognition and also grace. Like, just give me that little bit of beauty. Or at least an ambiguous comeback for her, like uh, like at the end of Kuga. Because, like, girl deserves that, and we just watched her die. Like, just give me, give me that much. <laughs> I do love the bit where Yua starts to move toward Aruto to maybe try and comfort him. And Fua just kind of puts his arm out in front of her because he knows Arto arguably better than anyone else who is still currently alive. Um, and he knows there is absolutely nothing anyone can say in this moment to do anything that would resemble fixing this. I do kind of feel bad that they just kind of leave him there. But there's nothing they could have done or said, and had they tried, he probably would have lashed out at them. And I think there's a degree to which Fua knew that, and was like, if he lashes out at us, he's only gonna feel bad about that, which is gonna make everything worse. Yeah. And, like, honestly, it's one of those moments that, that feels, again, like, visual metaphor, right? Because it is appropriately metaphorical even if, like, on a literal basis, you, you wouldn't want that, because even if they did swarm him, and they wrapped him in blankets, and gave him hot chocolate, and took him home, and set up watch outside his apartment, because they're so worried, and they just shovel food down his gullet, because, look, man, you gotta take care of you, even though he's basically catatonic with grief. Like, we could see all that, but Aruto's reality is that he's still in that warehouse in front of those scorch marks like there is nothing we can do to get him away from the place where his heart died because he needs to be the one to to move past that and it's just too soon <laughs> it was kind of nice to see you back out there like leading aims and trying to protect people during this crisis <laughs> If the city wasn't on fire, I'd like to believe she'd be protecting Yumagir also, too. Because that seems to be where she's at, as far as we can tell. She did have that moment of, like, I can't see Yumagir as tools anymore. Um, so I just, I kind of hope in the epilogue we get to see some of that. Yeah, same. Because, like, I, I keep hoping that there's going to be a Kuga-esque wrap-up, where we get to see how everyone's doing months later with, like, her standing between some human gear and some humans who got beef with them. I don't know, something like that. Just give me that. Yeah, I mean, we, we usually get something like that at the end of every show. Yeah, just, like, usually um, the last five So minutes, I just, but... yeah, I just want to see her, like, I don't know, doing, doing something to show that Ames has kind of become more than the sum of the parts Zaya put into it. Agreed. But god, that moment where Arc 1 slams down and blows everyone back is just killer. Yeah, it is. Like, the absolute power of that moment and the way it slams into us like a truck 
mid-sentence of Jin still pushing in our heads that Hirobi is the one who will become the Ark. Yeah, it's just, it's so good. And when Ark 1 just turns toward Hirobi and we see the Ark code just seeping out of him, just all this screeching, gibbering malice becoming a physical thing on the ground... Followed then by the those shots where Zero One hits the Magir so hard that we enter theatrical other space. <laughs> Just, like, I kept thinking in those shots that they brought uh, Hidenori Ishida back, you know, the, the guy who was the head director of Kuga. Because those scenes felt like Kuga as hell. But apparently that was just pure t- uh, Tasaki Ryuta. And uh, hell yeah, Tasaki Ryuta. <laughs> Like, holy crap, dude. The Just those slow motion bits where we see Arc 1 and he's just lit by those sparks where he hits the Magir. And in that moment, it's like, oh right, for his emotional reality, the violence, and it's not even who he's, who he's hitting, it's just, just hitting them out of the way. That is the only thing that is real for Arc 1. And, like, I don't know about anyone else, dude, but those shots broke my face. Yeah, and then just seeing him fall to his knees as the suit breaks down around him, and you just, you see the sneakers first, (laughs) and you know. And you don't even see all of the sneakers at once. It kind of, like, stripes them, and then it fades but you're just seeing those little pops of that highlighter yellow and you know. And just the way Aruto's head falls forward and then he kind of slowly lifts it up and we barely see his eyes as he's just rising up and vanishing into the mist with this barely contained rage. Seriously, like just him disappearing into the mist though. Yeah. Because, I mean, he he knows that he can't fight there because if he starts, he's going to hurt the other people. Mm -hmm. Like, he's gonna hurt Yua and Fua and Jin, and he doesn't want to fight them. Yeah. So he's got to wait until he can get Hirobi by himself. Just, it's so good. And also, him falling to his knees, just, again, that's the callback to me, that he's still in the warehouse he's still there in his heart in front of the scorch marks because he just yeah he's on his knees because his heart is broken but also like it's great to see the kinds of acting uh, Fumiya Takahashi is capable of doing because like look Aruto's been a really fun over the top comedic presence and everyone else has been sort of helping keep that energy contained like, you, you have everyone else, like, uh, they're all serious when he's funny so that, you know, we can keep the, the tonal balance of the show. But here, like, when that kid goes menacing and broken, he radiates it. Like, look, in all fairness, Ryuta's direction helps. Those camera angles, the mist... Yeah, that's that's helping the impression, but nothing in this world would save those moments if the kid couldn't pull off those emotions. I am deeply excited to see where this kid's career is headed, because if this doesn't sell him to the acting community as an absolute powerhouse, 
I don't know what will. Yeah, because, like, anything else he appears in after this, if it falls flat, I'm just going to be like, all right, well, director, what you do? Why didn't you get a good performance out of him? They got it for him. They got a good performance out of him on Common Rider. What's the deal? Also, like, rewatching it, those bits before he, he hits his knees also highlight how good a performer Yuya Nawata is as a suit actor, because Arc 1 is a completely new performance for this character, because it's not the frightful inhumanity of Evil Metal Cluster, because it's, it's it doesn't have that weird inhuman precision. It's got a human precision, but also the body language is different. He's slumped forward, and he's, he's got these hunched shoulders that feel like our hero's emotional state. It's equal part just sort of flinching away from human contact, withdrawing into himself, and also prepping himself to choke a dude to death with his bare hands. Like, that is a lot of good emotion to bring forth just with the suit acting, and, like, I know, you know, look... It's it's common writer. Of course, the suit acting's gonna be good, but man, they gave him some stuff to do this year. <laughs> I've actually been rewatching uh, the Heaton versus Zaya arc of Zero One with a friend, um, just because I'm trying to get him through the show, and those are not episodes that is you're that gonna the, get is that through the, easily. The job arc? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's... The, the jobs competition. That's tough. Um, and I realized uh, while watching it how surprisingly susceptible Aruto has been to malice this whole time. Because um, when, you know, when the dude throws Smile in the fountain, or when Guy kills Bingo, like, mid-courtroom arc, Aruto goes absolutely, like, absolutely ballistic on a level that I kind of forgot about. That at the time, I think we just kind of processed as, of course he's mad that these people are bullying and trying to murder Yumagir, or actually murdering Yumagir, when they're when that's totally unnecessary. Of course he's gonna get mad about that. But re-watching it with the context of where he is in the show right now, like, Arto wasn't just angry that people were hurting them. Like, he that was the root of his anger, but he was out for blood. Like, he let his anger get the better of him to a lot of degrees. And I feel like that has been present in the story intentionally, obviously, um, with the arc just watching Aruto as a potential vessel for a long time. I feel like this is a much longer con than we anticipated. Which, you know, first off, good. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and checking that out myself, because I... It's it's like you don't notice in Kuga how much Godai is withdrawing, th especially through, like, the latter two-thirds of the show. But once you know to look for it, it's just like, oh, yeah, he's... He is alienated from people. So I like going back and, and seeing those bits of evolving performance. But also, like... What better choice for the arc? Cause he's he's the scion of the family who created the Humagear. 
and making him into the avatar of hate, like, that's such a great middle finger to anyone who'd say that humanity can be saved or tolerated. Like, just, hey, even the best of them. This guy who wanted to be our friend fell to the malice at the heart of their species. Better to get rid of them now for our own protection. And then he'll, of course, like every exterminationist would then turn around to say, oh yeah, and all of you also have it because you're made by them. Goodbye. Just... Ark is such a good villain. <laughs> Which is saying something, because, like, Ark shouldn't work. Like, Ark should feel like the weird satellite from Goddad iPad back in Drive. But it works because it's it's a philosophical fight and that's that's the right stuff anyway sorry and just then they go for the low blow just this amazingly written low blow of azu just walking her just walking in and making herself into izu yeah just the with the the color change just it's so perfect and so smugly and honestly vile. Like, she's not even pretending. It's just like, hey, what's up? I'm gonna do this to mess with you. Ha ha! Because it's, it's this thing where, for a second, we also get some kind of hope. Mm. I sure did. But then she calls him Aruto-sama to call out to him instead of Aruto-shacho. And, like, you can immediately tell something is wrong. And, like, obviously it was Azu, because we just saw what happened to Izu, but she's barely trying to disguise herself. Yeah, she could have cut her hair, she could have she could have pretended to the, the body language, but no, Azu doesn't pretend, Azu doesn't hide. Because it's just, and, like, there's that pain in Aruto's face when he steps in, because he's got this, this kind of hope that we also had for a second. But, you know, as she's stepping out of the darkness and we're behind her, the light hits her back just right that you see the red streaks in her hair. And the choreography of that moment is just achingly beautiful. Yeah, it really is. But the way that Aruto's expression warps and he's got this kind of slightly giddy, mad grin as she presents the Arc 1 key really is what sees like really what brought me back to those moments of malice in earlier episodes because like he's this kid with too much on his shoulders who's had too much on his shoulders from episode one and now there's no one to ground him anymore there's no one to help him kind of blow it off at the end of the day and now he just wants blood for blood for having her taken away. And they wrecked me as we come out of that flashback to Aruto just howling in grief. Particularly over Izu. Um, but I think it's also partially because he knows what he's become. And that he shouldn't have become this thing. And it's not what Izu would have wanted but he's here, and he's hurting too much to turn back. Yeah. I mean, it's... Again, they don't they don't explain any of what he's feeling. You just you get that... The howl. Just that primal rage. And it's not even... Well, you know, primal 
screen, rather. And it's just, there's, there's nothing for him to do but get revenge. Like, his heart was stolen, not, not in a romantic sense. Just like, just his heart, his capacity for goodness, this thing that he saw as, like, you really understand that he sees Izu as the best part of himself. Or at least, that's what he trusts her to be, to help him connect to. And just, alright, Hirobi wants a fight? Okay, you'll get a fight. And they just... And he hates being that guy, but also... Like, what do you do? He can't talk to Izu anymore. He took that away. Like, they, they just they communicate so much without having to directly say a word about it, and it's beautiful. Yeah, like, I know that Aruto is human and can cry whenever he wants, but crying is such a specific thing in this show. Crying means such a specific thing. Because Yua never cried. We never saw Yua cry, no matter how much she was hurting. We never saw Fua cry, no matter how much he was hurting. Yeah, that's, that's to see call. Aruto cry means that he has lost the thing most dear to him. That is what crying means in this show. Yeah. I mean, that's why that's why Izu cried. Because she's like, oh no, I, I've just experienced the loss of my best friend. And yeah. Sorry, just, yeah. Good catch, good call. And just, man, like, I'm just gonna roll right into 43 because the writing in this show is incredible. Yeah, that that's no lie, dude. <laughs> no word like, of lie. Like, that moment of Azu reaching out to Aruto and then later in a mirroring scene, Hirobi, like, shot for shot, and saying that they specifically, individually, are the one who holds the key to ending this conflict is such an incredible moment. Because both of them, at the moment that Azu gives them this little speech, are at their lowest. They're both having... Um, I know you're not generally pretty invested in Sailor Moon, but there is a special that I don't totally remember the context of, but it's Sailor Neptune. Um... And she has this line where, I, I don't totally remember the context, but the line is, a world without Haruka isn't worth saving. That's pretty, yeah, um, that's pretty good. Because I think, I think she, like, did a thing where this dude was gonna end the world, and she, if she didn't do a thing, if she, like, didn't stand down and she attacks him anyway, and he's like, what the heck, he would, like, end the world? And she's like, oh, you, you don't understand. A world without Haruka in it isn't worth saving. And that's where they are right now. Aruto's at a world without Izu isn't worth saving. Hirobi later's a world without Jin isn't worth saving. And they're at... They are weighed down by more grief than they can handle. And all that's on their minds is being strong enough to make things their own version of right. Even if that means, you know, burning it all down. And... Azu declaring them some kind of chosen one is an amazing way of making them think that they have this power they want to make it right, while what's really happening is Azu getting the war that she wants. Yep, just, seriously, Azu being everything I'd hoped evil Shesta would be, and more, is just, it's so good. 
Again, Shesta, I'm sorry I ever doubted you, baby, but... Wow, Azu is everything. <laughs> and also, like, I had to go back and check, because there was a level at which I was fairly certain they just had uh, the actress who plays Azu and Izu, uh, Noah, uh, record just the one performance against a green screen, then just superimpose the performance on the different guys, because, you know, why not? It's not that. It's, but she's playing them so close that, I mean, you, you have to check. Which, like you said, like, that says so much about how little these guys matter to Azu in pursuit of her agenda. Because it's the same shots, the same poses, the same emotional manipulation. They're just the Mad Libs in Azu's master plan to resurrect her dark god. And I just... Something about that is just so vicious to me. Because, again, it's, it's the thing that the Ark did. The Ark treats everyone like things. And that's what we have to fight against. So I'm not sure why exactly Yua and Fua are reporting to Zaya about what's going on. Yeah. About, like, what happened with Aruto becoming the Ark. Like, I don't know, maybe they showed up expecting Guy to still be in charge, and we're just like, Guy, this thing happened, we, you know, we need all the help we can get right now, we don't like you, but you've got a belt, so, you know, help us out here, you owe us, and then just have to deal with this dude I don't care about whose name I've already forgotten. Um, but I do appreciate that when that dude's response is, well, go do a murder on Aruto then. He was just like, excuse me, Ames doesn't work for you anymore. I call the shots, and I'm not down with that. Please, do not forget it. I also appreciate that when Guy does want to join them, and is like, I'm going to join you as head of the Thouser Division, Fu is confused by the concept of what is a Thouser Division? And you was just like, why are you still allowed to be in charge of things? Which, you know, makes sense, because... Fua is, he's a grim shonen hero, so of course he's like, wait, why is there a division for a common Rider? That's messed up. And Yua's just, she's just normal human level, which again, that's such, I love that part of her. And she's just like, why aren't you in jail? <laughs> I just, I really, I want there to be a bit where she just like gets to grab him and shake him like, no, shut up, you should be in jail. Oh, or a bit where later on she like grab. Aruto, and just be like, hey man, you don't need this shonen protagonist nonsense. You need to admit you're a person. Because that'd be great, actually. Oh, you are. I just I love her so I, much. I want her, her complete, not ambivalence, because she only feels one sort of way, like her outside the shonen protagonist-ness of it all to be, like, part of her power. To, to bring him back. I don't know. Thank god. The, the scene between Hirobi and Jin, just Jin demanding Hirobi hold himself accountable for his actions, and Hirobi just doubling down on his ideology that he's doing the will of this external justice to the point where he's turning on his own son, and then the sword shakes. Seriously, I love that just it it shows the effort in Hirobi and and the way it reminds us once more that 
he's more than what he imagines himself to be. It shows both the potential for his growth and the denial of it in one fell swoop, and it's it's such a great moment. And then, you know, he, he does that big swing, and he cuts this cloth that I interpret as it's supposed to be this symbol of severing his tie with Jin. Yeah, I think, yeah. Because he's like, I am... I am cutting myself off from you. If you stand in my way, I will kill even you. And then it doesn't cut all the way. And he just kind of grabs the cloth and is angry that it's still attached. Because his own damn heart knows that there is nothing more important to him than Jin. So he can't completely sever that tie. And the only thing he can do in that moment is not face it any further and just leave. Like, the visuals in that scene, and in these episodes in general, but God, in that scene, yeah. evoke so much. And I really can't hand it to the Zero One team enough that they have managed to do all of this visual storytelling and make it work so well when they clearly had to restructure a lot of this ending. Yeah, yeah, you ain't kidding. Because I just, I just love the way that the big moments are getting more and more, for, for lack of a better term, theatrical. Like, as in something you would see in a theater, because it's, it's these big abstract set pieces, those, those aforementioned dark shots. And it's all there to highlight and, and heighten the emotions of the people on screen, because, yeah, he's trying to cut the cloth to, to sever his ties but also the whole area acts like a bunch of these there but not barriers between them or or at least which which complicate their relationships because Jin he wants to be straightforward and, and reach out to his dad but there's just all this stuff in the way that doesn't need to be there but there it is and it's it's all really beautiful because we're, we're taking all of the characters' internal relationships and externalizing them as sets, and I adore it. It's something I, I like we were talking before we started recording, I really wish more American superhero movies would do stuff like that. Because they're so attached to being realistic when they should be metaphorical. It's Anyway, um, that's for another day. Um, on on as much of a lighter note as anything can be in these episodes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do love Fua saying that he'll rip the arc out of Aruto with his bare hands. Like, I love that even now, two episodes from the end, for all Fua has grown as a person and completed his emotional arc, he's still just about ripping stuff open with his bare hands for a better future. Like, never change, you big, beautiful idiot. Yeah, agreed. Because, look, he has one thing, and it has never failed him. It's so good. I, I... Honestly, I hope that when he gets back to his family, they're like, Hey, man, could you help just help us with this jar? I can't get it open. Please just give me... Oh, why is he so good at just opening things that refuse to open? Because he... He came up being the one dude in the house who could open the pickles. 
Also, I adore the moment when they all realize that Arc 1 is just dodging attacks and not fighting back and are like, what is going on? Why is the Ark not trying to kill us? Oh, so good. And poor Aruto, just mistaking grief for rage, just demands to be left alone. And in his head and in his heart, this is a fight between just him and Hirobi. It is a fight between individuals because he can't see the war that's being waged on his back. Yeah, because, like, why would he? He thinks this is personal when Ark is making it not that. Azu is making it not that. And again, like, what a good moment for them because all of them are willing to take a hit from their friend Aruto to keep him from turning into the Ark any further anyway and and again that's what common writing is on this show it's there on every level and just again like hats off to you Yunawata, because the suit acting in that scene is choice because like hey there there is a pretty clear reason they seem to be eyeing this guy to possibly be the next mr common rider <laughs> like maybe he just ends up being like the dude who played kuga and he's just there the one time but, I mean, this dude's real good. <laughs> and man, just Arto turning off the chip in Fuwa and Yua's heads killed me. Yeah. Because, like, breaking guys' stuff, like, fine. Yeah. He deserves that. I didn't really feel anything, but then he just, like, he knocks the two of them out, and Fuwa's just ready to run back in, and it just doesn't work. Arto's just like, no, you can't fight anymore. This is between me and Hirobi. I cannot lose you to this fight, too. Like, he, Arto already can't handle this one loss. Yeah. He cannot, and he knows that Hirobi is out to murder all the humans. So if he lets Hirobi near these three, he'll clearly try and murder yeah. them. And this, this way, they're out of the conflict. It just, hey, I don't have to hurt you. Just move you off the table. And he has banished them back to the realm of mortals while he does battle with a demigod while wielding the power of a dark full god. And it's it's so good and mythic, but also down to earth. And it's it's seriously some stuff I love seeing in superheroes, and I don't see enough. I want to be mad about Yua being depowered again, but she is depowered alongside Fua in the exact same way. Um, so she's kind of kept on the same level of narrative respect as him. So I will accept this for now. Yeah, like, we, we've seen that she's a force to be reckoned with even without the suit, but uh, she'd best get it back or get some sort of cool moment by the end. Because she's just better. Don't, don't mar a good show with a nonsense call like that, y'all. <laughs> she's so good, I love her. That shot of Jin sitting on the artfully arranged ladders in the middle of the dirty, torn, hanging rags that, as you've mentioned, represent the space between him and his father and are in their colors looks like a classical goddamn painting. <laughs> and I kind of love it. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's a visual medium. And I love when they take advantage of it, because, yo, why not make every frame a painting? 
I, I realize that they're on a on a schedule, but I'm glad they took the time for this stuff, you know? The way Shesta shoves past the vice president and is he the general manager? I think so, that that makes sense. Something whatever he is. Like just the way that she pushes them out of the way at the news that Izu's been destroyed, like, was a punch to the guts. Yeah, dude. Just the barest hint of panic when she asks, Are you sure? Because she knows there's no coming back for Izu. And Shesta didn't like Izu, but I think there's a level on which she loved Izu in the way that you love your sibling that you always fight with. Even like like as kids, you generally don't like your siblings. To or well, I don't know. I don't have siblings. No, but that's I, I can. I there's can there's a degree to which you can have this relationship where you don't like your sibling, especially if there's more of an age gap between the two of you, which I think there is, if you consider Iza, Izu and Shesta to be sisters. Yeah. Um, but like she still loves her in that way, like. No, I'm not going to let someone hurt Izu. Um, like, even if she doesn't really understand that emotion, she and Izu are cut from the same cloth, and the idea of Izu, who she knows can't be restored, being dead, clearly brought her some level of distress. I mean, especially since she was pretty close to that herself that one time. And, like, look, Shesta, Shesta might not be the holy repository of all Grandpa Hiden's hopes and dreams or whatever, but she's still a person, man. And now the big sister who she taught to swear like a whole ship full of sailors is gone, and, like, it pretty clearly hurts her. And the gal playing her sells it so well. Man, and then you've got that kind of winding, twisting shot in the warehouse of all of the malice, like, striking out at all of the Magyar, and then like, retreating back to Aruto, and you get those really quick, staticky jump cuts. And that was spooky. Yeah, dude. That did me a frighten. Um, and just, God, did you even feel anything when you killed Izu was such a raw question. Yeah, it really was. But also, like, of course Aruto would want to know that. He wants to know if he's facing a person who did an unforgivable thing, or just this metal monster that broke his heart because like i got the impression and i you know your mileage may vary but my impression was with that question is all right am i going to kill you or do i hurt you and then kill you because like it is made very clear especially with those staticky shots and like him basically melting the magir with just the sheer power of his hatred that he did not come to play. This is not a writer fight. This is something else. And I just, I appreciate that every frame in those shots lets you know that. It is yeah, it is I... as big a thing. It Okay, there's humans, and then there's common riders. And then there's common riders, and then whatever this is. And it's that big. I love it. And if Hirobi was able to just admit that he did, that he felt something when he killed Izu, and that he's scared and confused, and that he regrets it as much as he clearly does regret it, 
and that if Aruto could have seen the way he was shaking and hesitating before he fired that arrow, I don't think Izu would be able to wage this war off of both of them. No, yeah, because Aruto, Aruto can understand making a ter- well, I don't know if he can understand making a terrible mistake yet, but he'd at least be like, okay, let's talk. But dude can't. Dude doesn't. Yeah, no, but the, the both of them are so scared that they just keep digging themselves in deeper. And Azu knows hate, hurt, pain, violence, domination. These, these are great tools to make destruction happen. Uh, I'm glad that Naki and Raiden Ikazuchi, I'm gonna call him Raiden because he's back in the orange jumpsuit, um, I'm glad that Naki and Raiden got to show up for a couple seconds in this episode. I wish they got to do something, but at least they showed up and I know they're safe. Yeah, agreed. And, like, it did look like they were rushing off to do a thing, so... I don't know. Maybe... maybe soon? It best be soon, because, you know, there's two episodes left and, oh my god, there's only two episodes left! I don't know how there's only two episodes left, but here we are. So those moments where Arc 1 is punching Hirobi and they cut to him throwing punches in that black void brought me back to Kuga. And I know we've kind of talked about it already, but specifically when he was lashing out at Hirobi, mm-hmm. it brought me back to Kuga. Yeah, it very much so. Um, and I kind of wish that when they'd cut to him in the black void, it was Aruto and not the Arc 1 suit, because I feel like that would have driven home even more the sense of this is a good man losing himself to violence. Man, that would have been good. And also, like, exactly Kuga, which, you know, that's a chilling thought. And I especially wish it had been that when he hits that last phase of perfect conclusion and says this is for Izu, because I think if we had seen his face in that moment, it would have really driven home the point that Aruto is blood for blood. He can think that this is him getting justice for Izu, but it's not. This is a thing where he is just trying to make himself feel better because he doesn't know how else to make himself feel better. Yeah. And look, even as I wish it would have had at least a frame of Aruto in that emotional other space, because, man, that is a good... I like that. Um, at the same time, they do a great job of showing that, yeah, this is for Aruto. He might say it's not, but it is, because this is this is violence not as redemptive, not as heroic, not as not even as a mark of power. This is violence as impotence. Aruto is lashing out like this not because he's a great hero, but because he can't think of any other way to react to the world. And I love that we're meant to see this and understand how tragic and awful and ugly it is to only have violence to respond with. Which, I mean, you know, you talk Kuga, that's the end of Kuga. And man, then Toei's really gotta do it to us with Jin. We have to relive this loss from the other side, which is brilliant writing, but I'm old and my heart can't take it. And again, like, with what I brought up about what crying means in this show, we see Hirobi physically cry. And 
we know the weight of especially what a Yumagir, but anyone in this show crying means from when Izu did it. And that Hirobi has reached that point of truly understanding love and his own heart just as it's ripped out of his hands. And then there's that shot where he's we see Aruto like in the distance, but Hirobi's kind of down face down in the corner of the shot, and just these embers of Jin crash down on his back. And he just kind of like convulses. Yeah. And it was honestly kind of more than I could bear. Yeah, that's fair, dude, because it is it is heavy. And also we just lost Izu, which like it's it's a lot to take. Like you gotta believe there are a lot of kids crying at home because I know I was real dang close. It just it wrecked me. Also, though, like I appreciate that they made sure that this was properly tragic for Hirobi, not just in the sense of like oh a sad thing happened to him. It's like no, this is the old school tragic where the bad thing happens as a result of your own character flaw because yeah they they had that scene with with the sheets and him and Jin that we loved so much and you just realize oh he could have stopped right then he could have called this off he could have just left with Jin and tried to figure himself out run far away from the city figure stuff out with Jin and maybe found something to do about Izu or some way to come to peace with Aruto. But he was too busy being attached to being the Metsubo Jinrai guy, even though there's no there's no bow, no Jin, no Rai. He wanted to make more death, and now he got it. And like, just, like, you bring up the ash, and that's just what everything turns into, and it is it is beautiful and it is awful and it's it's so poetic because yeah man you wanted hate you've been met with hate it sucks for everyone no one wins here and now not only is aruto trying to cope with the loss of izu so we now no longer have you know hirobi coping with having killed and aruto coping with having lost We've now got both of them doing both because, and we see Aruto reacting to the fact that he has murdered someone innocent mm-hmm. under this this kind of revenge ideal that he's got in his head. Not intentionally, but he has murdered someone. Yeah, which again is it's it's perfect as as a way to take the show because, like, look, you set out to do anything with that kind of hate in your heart. Do you think you're gonna have perfect aim or a, like again? That's part of what the shots with it with him in the darkness are about. He only sees his urge to do the violence, so of course he wouldn't even be looking for Jin because he's so focused on this thing. And like for a lot of vengeance-minded characters, we take them having perfect aim as just a thing they get to do, but. I appreciate that we see that Aruto doesn't, because it removes the illusion that you could either. Because, yeah, he's got a singular focus, as represented by the arc eye, that's also representing that he's not seeing clearly. But it makes it so he doesn't fight like he normally does in any respect. 
He's not looking around him. He's not trying to protect anyone. And when a common rider stops protecting people, what are they? And in this case, yeah, there's someone who kills one of the good guys. Again, in the language of the series, a common rider is defined by the hits they take, and Jin, like Izu, goes out a common rider. And also, I just, on, on another level, I just want to say that Jin dying is the reason I can accept Izu dying. Because, like, Izu's the only person whose death could hurt Aruto that much, while similarly, like you said, Jin is the only person whose death could hurt Hirobi this much. They, they are both their respective counterparts' hearts in so many ways, and while I'm definitely sympathetic to people who don't like Yuzu going out like that, that, that uh, parody, I guess, is the only word I can really think of, is, is a big part of what keeps it from being a lady dies to motivate a dude to be dark. It is instead people dying to protect the ones they love, which... Like, that is better in every dimension. Because <laughs> it... Because, like, look, a lesser show would definitely just have killed her off and had him go be dark for a while. Yeah, I mean, lesser shows have done that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I love Kiva, but... Man, that sure is a thing that happens in Kiva. Boy, it really is, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I do love that the endgame of this show is not only calling back to Kuga, but is escalating the message of the end of Kuga. Because Godai had to break a cycle of violence by getting rid of an unfeeling aggressor that was going to perpetuate violence no matter what. And the only way to break him out of that, break himself from that cycle of violence, was to get rid of this thing that's causing violence. But for Aruto and Hirobi, they're both seeing the other as Daguba, as someone cold and heartless who is going to perpetuate violence no matter what, and maliciously took away someone they love in order to hurt them. But neither of them are Daguba. Aruto and Hirobi are both Godai. They both want a world where no one has to fight anymore. They want everyone around them to live peacefully, and they're going to have to decide together to lay down arms and find a way forward, because if they don't both decide that, whoever doesn't is going to become Dagu. Absolutely. And it's really interesting that we've blurred this normally hard and fast children's superhero line between good and evil. And and while we've done that, we've also embodied, like, the actual evil in, in Azu slash the Ark, because what makes this awfulness happen now is, is, it's that drive to win. It's the drive to, to hew close to these ideas of how I'm gonna get mine instead of laying down your arms and figuring out a way to do this. It's it's not live and figure out something new, it's just to dominate someone else to soothe the pain in yourself. You can't seek to harm others without having something in you being broken, and they're showing that so powerfully and in such an interesting and nuanced way for a kid's show. 
Like, look, you know that in five, ten years, this is going to be a thing kids talk about when they remember the lessons they learned from their children's media. Yeah. Because, like, hey, good on you guys. You you built a new... You did it. <laughs> maybe they maybe they face plants in the next two episodes. I don't know. But, hey, guys, you did it. <laughs> and I don't know what the end of this show will bring. And the weight of these sh these two episodes is so heavy that I'm not even sure how to speculate on what could possibly be contained in these last two episodes. But I think it might be one of the most powerful Common Rider endings we've had maybe since Blade. Yeah, without a doubt. This is... Like, this is a good one. <laughs> And, you know, not to discount some of the really amazing endings, Double O's, Forze, but they've always, there is a tragedy that they've never quite struck, even in these tragic endings like Double and O's, um, where there is this great loss, I just, I don't, I feel like we're going to have this moment of, like, if you send someone a picture of the bench from the end of Blade, like, it is a thing within the fandom. If you send someone who knows what that bench is, of like, I have a friend who finished Blade a couple weeks ago, and all he did was text me a picture of the bench to indicate to me that he had finished the show. That's a good way to show it, yeah. And I feel like we're going to have that with Zero One. We're going to have this kind of silent, wordless moment that is going to mean something big and painful and real in a way that we haven't really had since the bench. Yeah, well, I think it's, like, uh, you bring up a lot of the good endings, because, like, look... O's, Forza, Double, those are some real good endings. But I, I think the, the thing that, that you're focusing on is, like, it's exemplified in, in the story about Ishinomori when he was young. Because it is said that the original Kamen Rider comes from when he was a kid, he won a fight, and he's looking down at this other kid, you know, who he who he fought. He punched this kid. He hurt this kid. And he's looking down at him, and all he wants to do is cry because oh no, I hurt someone. This is terrible. And like, that is the most common rider thing. And boy, it feels like we're heading towards that, doesn't it? <laughs> and hey, look, since we're talking about all the Kuga that this show is evoking, because Boy, howdy, if you watch enough Kamen Rider, it's hard not to see it. I just want to throw out that I appreciate the the level of artistry they're, they're evidencing, because they're evoking it in such a way that while it is clear that they are drawing on Kuga, they are also making their own thing out of it, which is just the embodiment of the idea that a good artist borrows, a great artist steals. Because, like, look, it, we're going to need some time and distance to say if this is a great work or not. At present, I am leaning towards it being so. But 
you know, you, you gotta digest things. But at least they know that the key to taking from another work is to take so hard you make it your own. It's, it's the Johnny Cash cover of Hurt, or Whitney Houston's cover of Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You, where it's just, there is, there is that song before that cover, and there is that song after that cover. Uh, Dolly Parton famously said that uh, when she heard Whitney Houston cover I Will Always Love You, she's like, well, that's yours now. You did such a good job. And, like, will we be making comparisons to Kuga forever? I mean, yeah. Yes, we will. Kuga is very good. But also, we're going to be making com callbacks to Zero One. And, like, look, as the start of a new era, that's absolutely what you want. Like, they, they did not play with the first rioter of the Rewa era. Yeah, a thing that's been kind of stuck in my heart since we came back from the show's hiatus, and especially since we got Kamen Rider Naki, mm. is that Zero One has set the bar for Rewa so incredibly high. Yeah. Like, we've got a core trio female rider, a non-binary rider played by a non-binary actor who has their own suit. Yeah. Where, like, I thought if they were going to get one, they were just going to inherit Fua's. Yeah. But Naki got their own suit. We have a story that's this intense and heartfelt and meaningful, especially in its own time. Like, it is the Kuga of its era. And everything that comes after is going to have to live up to that. And I mean, like, what good is it to be the first of an era if you're not going to smash through every ceiling you find? So, like, good on Zero oh, One. Yeah. I, it has set the bar high, and it should. I just, I think Zero One came into existence wanting to set a precedent for the Rewa era. And if nothing else, but there is definitely so much else... It has managed to do oh, that. Oh, yeah. Because, like, from here on out, it's... Well, why aren't any of these writers ladies? We know you can do it well. You know you can do it well. Why are there only cis people at this show? Eh, okay, maybe not... Yeah. Well, yeah, why are there only cis or, or binary-gendered people in this show? Let's... Or why are there only straight yeah. people? <laughs> That's the next one. Do it. Just give me... They don't even need to be the main writer. Look, I am not... I would love them to be the main writer, but I'm not... The, I can take it step by yeah. step. You can make them, like, the fourth or fifth writer. I don't care. Just make them... I don't care if it's a lesbian or a gay dude. I would love a non-binary queer person. Yes. Not that not be, not that you're not queer if you're non-binary, but I would love a... Uh, attraction-based queerness, gender-based queerness. Um, I'd love all of that in one person. I'd love to see that. And hey, hey, um, look. I don't care. Just give me anything. I will take Common it. Common Rider doesn't have moms? Okay, give someone two dads. Like, I would prefer, like, a gay rider, but also we can just have someone with two dads. Yeah, look, they don't even need to be riders to start. Just give me some explicitly... Queer people yeah. 
in the show. Just have more of them be around. Because, hey, uh, it's clear y'all can do it. You, why is it clear? Because you done did it. And also, like, if we could just have... If we could just have Toei, someone at Toei, just come out and say, Oh yeah, Ichijo and Godai were 100% textually canonically gay. Like, I... While I'm wishing, you know? It's, it's just one of those things where it's clearly intended. And... I think if you try and say it's not there, you are reading counter to just the way the show is. But I don't think Toei would ever agree that that is the case, and I want Toei to do it. I do remember that during the uh, the Shout Factory premiere of uh, Hey Safe Forever, yeah. someone in the chat said that... Um, Sento and Ryuga were supposed to be, like, the first explicitly gay couple in Kamen Rider. And I asked them for a source, but the chat was moving very yeah. fast, so I don't know if they saw me ask for one. I did not get one. So I do not believe that is true. Yeah, I, I don't believe it's true unless, like, someone from Toei comes out and says it. Because I feel like if that was a true thing that there was a source on, someone would have provided it for me already. Yeah. Um, but look, if someone out there has a source for that, please bring it to my attention. Um, but they are not in the show explicitly yeah. queer, um, as much as I will forever read oh, it that like, way. Oh, look, they are the perfect match. Like, come on. <laughs> but... Just, you know, do it. Again. Do it, cowards. All you have to do is do what you did with Naki. Because even Omori, who has deservedly caught a lot of crap from us, came, you know, in an interview, oh yeah, Naki has no gender. Boom. Just have someone say it. Just someone agree that it is true. And that's it. We're done after that. Because at that point, it's just, okay, you have agreed it's true, therefore, we can stop having that discussion. That discussion's over. So, do it, cowards. Because we know you can be brave. Because you had Naki. Just, you had Naki, and you had Yua, and like, okay, Yua's not, you know, outside the binary, and to the best of our knowledge, she's not queer. But... But she is a core-cast yeah, lady core cast writer. core-cast lady writer who doesn't get treated like her like she's a lady writer and she never stops being a yeah. writer like they never took poppy and nico's belts away from them but they stopped being yeah writers. they did like she keeps she keeps transforming when she finally turned back into common rider valkyrie it was a it was a sit up and cheer moment but also she got to spend a bit of time in that cool uh, Anubis Jackal Raid Riser, and look, that was pretty sick. Yeah. So, like, you know, they they put her to the sideline, but also never made her go away, and then she got back in the suit, and it was great. So, just, next series don't let us down. And if, like, okay, if the next series lets us down, we can be like, they're still 
sort of figuring out how it all shook out from this one. But if if Reiwa number three like regresses, well, I I don't know how to finish that statement because like there's not a lot I can do. But yeah, I mean, like we're two years out from yeah. that. We're gonna we'll see how that ends up, but right now in this moment it's just there's so much potential for the yeah. future and uh don't squander it toei anyway uh speaking of of things not to squander let's do our new suit roundup so we can uh call call this one put a put a bow on this one um common rider arc one baby um I like Arc 1 as this very dangerous zombie corruption of Zero Ooh, One. Excellent call. Um, it's still got that issue of the white stripes not going all the way down the legs, but that continues to be my only major criticism of Arc suits. <laughs> uh, I will give it this much, though. Uh, not only do the bright white foot things work so much better with the white on the rest of the costume, uh, but to me it also evokes Aruto's brightly colored sneakers, so it feels like a great bit of foreshadowing of Arto's transformation because like once I saw those like once we saw the the white feet I was like wait a minute I mean because like yeah of course it could only be Arto who was in the suit but still it was just it was such a good bit of foreshadowing I do love that his chest is this red X thing that's on the side of the Zaya spec good catch um I can't take credit for catching that. Someone did point that out to me, but I thought that was really, really amazing and cool as, you know, just this final indication of Zaya is what made yes. this. Even if it's not on purpose. I love the weird kind of folded in wings on his back. I love that he's still got the exposed arc eye and that one side of his face is still kind of mangled in the same yeah, way. Yeah, and then, like, just the other side of the face has, like, a devil horn. It's so good. And, like, the suit is still powerful and terrifying, but now it's clean. Now it doesn't feel like this kind of shambling thing that could fall apart at any moment. It's not cobbled together from scraps. It doesn't have a weakest link. This is a perfect killing machine. Yeah. Like, Ark took everything. Aruto, Izu, and Zaya built with the Zero Two driver and just assimilated it into itself. All that love and passion and beauty has been drained of color and life and shine. It is just such a perfect bit of suit design as storytelling. I also really love that it's got ten different numbered versions of perfect conclusion that each add up these negative emotions the arc has learned. Like, that's such a wicked cool idea and is maybe one of the most thematic finishers we've had in a long yes. while. And just I, I just love it. It's like learning five. Like, oh, yeah, you learned how to express all of these horrible things, and it's just... <sighs> I think the biggest thing for me is they took a shot at the Kuga Ultimate Darkness suit, and they did not miss. Because, like, look, a lot of series have tried to get an Ultimate Kuga in, like Bill did, but it just it never worked right. But this one is just absolute perfection. It's just so... 
awful in the best ways. Oh, man, this show. Oh, <laughs> uh, just there's not even a lot to say. Just this show, man. Yeah. Uh, but I. I've... I mean, I really can't believe that next time we come back to it, that'll be it. Yeah. Um, I'm. I'm just gonna find my emotional support robot. <laughs> And also maybe a physical support robot, because there's a non-zero chance I'll just faint dead away talking about it. Uh, but, uh, so for all of us here at the Uncommon Cast RX and the rest of the TOL network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sana. <laughs>